Immersive Audio Podcast. In conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business, to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. In this episode of the Immersive Audio Podcast, Oliver Cadell is joined by John Kyle Varley via Skype from Halifax, Canada. John Kyle is a musician, music producer, and founder of Frameworks Productions, a production company that specializes in creating musical scores for virtual reality and 360 film. In this episode, Oliver and John Kyle discuss the influence of sound and music in virtual reality and the creation of Frameworks Productions. John Kaovali, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? Thank you very much. I'm doing great. Nice to talk to you. It's a pleasure to have you. So tell us, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Ah, cool. Interesting. I don't believe we had guests from Canada previously, so that's a new one. Well, um, I'm happy to to be the first, and if, if not the first, one of the few. <laughs> uh, what's the weather like? Uh, it's just beginning to get a little bit, uh, a little bit more like people imagine Canada to be. We've had our great two weeks of summer, and now it's going back to normal. Mm. The, the weather's here is totally unpredictable. It's, it was very cold this morning. Now it's super hot, like it could be July, and I think it's going to get cold again later. So. We just never know how to dress. Typical London weather. We usually get lucky in October. We get another few minutes of summer in October at some point, but and then it you know goes back to deep freeze. So uh, I don't mind anymore. I'm used to it. I would have moved if it bothered me. As long as it's not raining. Exactly. Yeah, the weather's been pretty kind to us so far, so we'll see what happens. All right. Okay, let's get started. Um, so as we get to find out, your career has been heavily influenced by music background, and uh, we're definitely going to be unpacking that in more detail. Uh, but why don't you tell us a bit more about how you got into music and how did it all start for you? Well, I grew up playing uh, music with friends. It's a very common story, you know, I... I Picked up a bunch of instruments as a teenager and eventually went to jazz school and, and enjoyed it. And then went abroad uh, teaching and playing for a few years and finally moved back to Canada. And for most of my 20s, I was a, a touring and, and recording musician, doing a whole slew of different uh, different gigs and, and uh, teaching assignments and uh, studio work and all the normal things that you have to do to, to make it uh, work to make rent worth, <laughs> to make rent work month to month. So it was a a pretty conventional musician lifestyle for for most of my young adult life. And now I'm just getting uh, comfortable doing even more studio work and and shifting over to a more production uh, based career. I'm assuming you're doing a whole bunch of things like um, as you know typical creative um, juggling several gigs. So what are your current commitments? You do you teach? You you do you do live gigs. You produce for clients. That's pretty much it. I, I do I do a lot less teaching now than I used to. I've gone almost entirely to the production side for the last two or three years. But I still play a, a few gigs a month and really enjoy uh, traveling to the odd show. Uh, 
it's something that I'll probably always end up doing. I'll never stop gigging and I'll never stop living the musician life. But I also enjoy the stability and the uh, the peace and quiet of a of a studio musician. I, I've I've discovered that about myself as I've gotten a little bit older. I do enjoy spending time with uh, with the equipment and myself and and uh, a difficult musical problem to solve. I like that stuff. What are the typical genres or gigs that you tend to work on as a producer? Uh, well, I've started doing a lot of jazz and a lot of rock and roll and a lot of blues when I was a little bit younger. And then later I switched into a lot of Americana and started to get into more uh, unconventional uh, composing, things uh, that were a little bit more experimental and uh, and and pushing in one direction or another on the music industry. Uh, it was around probably four or five years ago, I started producing other musicians and other bands, uh, records and uh, existing uh, as a uh, producer. We started doing a lot of mixed media, a lot of video work, a lot of uh, the type of thing that you do for fun and have to ask for funding for because it's not the type of thing that puts uh, puts people into a restaurant or uh, theater, but it's the type of thing that's very artistically rewarding and and fun to do with with close musical friends. What's the music scene like over there? Because it's a it's a it's a quite a big place, isn't it? Well, it is a big place, so it makes traveling difficult. It makes touring difficult and expensive. So there's definitely been a shift in the last 20 years or so away from live performance. A lot of artists are uh, either moving, which is sad. You know, people are leaving this area and leaving the city for uh, for more densely populated areas where the economics makes more sense. But there's a, a deep musical tradition on the east coast of Canada with uh, you know, there's guitars and pianos in, in virtually every house and uh, some good portion of your social status is determined by how well you can play all of those things. So it's a musical culture and there will always be a musical uh, a musical scene here on, on the East Coast. But sadly, the economics are, are starting to pressure people into leaving and there's a lot of the the best uh, players and producers and and writers that are leaving for Nashville or Toronto or some other major urban centers. But uh, most of them end up coming back for as much time as they can manage. They really tend to miss the um, the genuine musical atmosphere that you have in a place with uh, where in a place where there's you know just throngs of music fans that that really enjoy the the creative process and the art that comes from it. I'm trying to think of um, some major artists that come from Canada. I, I, th- I can think of a few. I don't want to embarrass myself. Is, is Justin Bieber? Is he Justin is. Bieber from Canada? He is. I Michael think Buble? <laughs> Michael Buble, absolutely. You're, you're doing very, very well. So those are our exports. And depending on who you're a fan of, we're either proud to have them call Canada home or we're sorry, you know. That's a very nice range, uh, pop dance music and jazz i guess exactly like in in my particular region of canada there's a big rock and roll scene uh with a lot of of talented people that are are coming out of here uh playing kind of 60s and 70s style rock and roll which is where i got my start you know i studied jazz in school but uh i started playing a lot of soul music i was i spent a huge amount of time uh behind organs and piano playing 1960s style soul music in addition to normal jazz gigs that i would do in restaurants and and uh in studios and things like this but soul was my bread and butter for a long time interesting well let's switch the gear obviously immersive audio and music has been becoming a major trend lately, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm actually quite curious to hear, what was your story? How did you get into VR or XI industry and uh, started to experiment with uh, spatial music, etc.? Tell us more about that. Well, I was a very late VR convert. I followed the Oculus Kickstarter uh, story and, and all the technology that was developing around that at the time. I was always a gamer and always technically minded, so I was you know, on the periphery, but but not in a headset until about 2016 when uh, a friend brought over a PSVR and I tried uh, a few experiences there and I just, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I think it was Ocean Descent. It was a, a shark attack experience. 
And I tried to pull Darwin's trick of, uh, you know, thinking of myself in a living room and imagining everything uh, being a, a simulation and not being real, but I couldn't stop flinching. I couldn't stop jumping out of the way of the shark, and I knew it was really special media. We, we feel VR through our whole bodies, and it's a perceptual experience that I was just got obsessed with. And it was shortly after that I bought my own headset and started uh, deep diving into into VR and, and trying to understand how it all worked and what was happening. I remember noticing the relationships between uh, the audio and the visuals, and I knew enough about music production and audio production to make sense of what was going on. And uh, the first thing I thought about was how interesting this was going to be musically. Uh, I started digging through a lot of musical content and discovered that there were some really excellent simulated concert experiences and a lot of intimate performances, things like this. Uh, but I saw that there was potential in these audio systems for really new and interesting types of music. You know, the deeper I dug uh, into the tech, uh, the more I, I saw what this could be. And eventually I started piecing together some of the musical ideas that would become what I'm focusing on now. That's really interesting. That's exactly kind of what I'd like to dive into a little bit deeper. Is obviously you had that initial immersive experience uh, by playing VR game, and uh, you obviously you start connecting those dots, uh, trying to figure out if you could apply what you saw there with spatial audio onto musical domain as a composer and writer. It's getting really granular here, but like, what kind of ideas did you have initially? I believe it was a Blade Runner demo. Was one of the very first ones where I, I, I it was pretty clear actually. Uh, I remember within a few days, I, I knew that there was something to this because I, we were, I was noticing that there were audio events being triggered by turning your head, as we all do in VR. We would look at a menu and you'd hear a little ding or pop or some sort of sound design element would, would manifest. And I knew uh, pretty much right away, I said, well, what if that was a particular note or if that was a particular rhythm? You know, what, would, what could I do if I could use the headset and the human body, you know, through the headset to make subtle changes to score, uh, to, to the musical score and, and what would happen. And frankly, at that time, I assumed it was common and that other people were doing it already. Uh, and I looked through a lot of experiences trying to find uh, music that was composed to exploit those processes and those systems uh, you know, to the extent that they could be used. And I didn't find a, a whole lot. There was a lot of great stuff going on with virtual instruments and, you know, keyboards floating in front of you and, and you know, uh, making a lot of different complicated patch systems and, and virtual studios, essentially, that sort of experience. That was there, but I wanted to know what we could do with with music that was composed specifically for those environments. It was within a few minutes. I think I told people prematurely that, oh, there's music that is spatialized and floating around you and it's interactive. And I kind of I kind of assumed within a couple of days of trying it out that it already existed. And then the more I looked, uh, there wasn't a huge amount of this type of music out there. So I thought I would make it myself or try to, or at least learn enough about it to know if I could or not. Tell us a little bit more about the company and your role within the company and how did it come about? Well, Frameworks uh, was a bit of a transplant. Me and a number of friends had been uh, doing a lot of production work of various types. We had done a lot of mixed media and uh, videography and, and filming and all sorts of different uh, uh, work for local companies and advertisements and conferences and all manner of, of things. And Frameworks was the name we had given ourselves. And uh, over the years, some of those people moved away, and some, you know, uh, some of them started doing other things. And Frameworks was uh, the company that I kept using as my production, uh, my production services. So I would be producing, like I said, uh, music videos and and uh, advertisements and that sort of thing. And the VR focus side of Frameworks started with me going out to work in Banff at the Banff Center at the end of 2017. I had contacted them just after I got my first headset and wrote out a proposal prototyping generative music processes based on spatial audio, the things that we were just discussing. Uh, I outlined the musical theory concepts and how that 
framework could relate to the technology and how it would come together technically. Uh, so they gave us some modest funding, and we spent about a month and a half, I think six weeks, recording and implementing uh, the first demo of of this sort of music. Uh, I was working with a guy called Ed Renzi out there who did great work during that residency. He helped me get this sorted out for the first time. Uh, he's a great audio engineer there, and it was him and his team at the BAMP Center that got this first uh, composition tested and working as we wanted it to. So when I got back from that, I, I registered uh, frameworks uh, officially as a VR production company. And uh, by the winter of 2018, I had a workflow and a prototype that was uh, working. It was possible and it looked practical. So I spent most of 2018 uh, dedicating as much time as I could to different iterations and cleaning up the various workflows for different formats and meeting people who were professionals in one element of this or another and making sure I knew what I was doing and was going through the process properly. There's a lot of people that helped me out over that year uh, working this out on different platforms with various software tools. Uh, I made a lot of really terrible music during that year because most of it was most of it was very uh demo oriented and had a uh, a technical goal in mind instead of an aesthetic goal in mind so it was a lot of trial and error to see what would work and what wouldn't and uh and a lot of frustration but a lot of great moments as well so by the end of 2018 and 2019 uh, I started talking about frameworks publicly and started taking on some spatial audio clients and they were happy with the results and uh, some of that has been released and some of it hasn't so we're still at the very first stages of of bringing these things to market and uh, I'm I'm figuring it out as I go it's all very new to me it's uh, you know, I'm trying to be as humble as I can in approaching this technology because it's not uh, exactly my world. So, uh, you know, before now, most of the music I was involved in was soul music and jazz music, which you know is sixty year old vintage equipment and so on. You know, I'd always been a bit of a a tech geek and I enjoyed it, but the last two years has been very focused on this sort of technology. Well. I would say probably absolute majority of this community can relate to that and feel similar. Everybody's working out things. You know, we might have done a ton of projects and, you know, the a lot of production techniques are to be considered well-established and, you know, we, we see the emergence of certain standards. All kinds of positive things are happening. The, the market or the tools is developing rapidly, which is fantastic news. But I think overall, uh, the general notion, as far as I'm concerned anyway, would, would have to be this is new, let's just keep exploring, let's just not draw any conclusion lines too soon because we might miss something out, uh, that's for sure. I think that that attitude and that sort of potential was what drew me to the industry uh, to begin with and kind of drew me away from some of the other uh, music that was difficult to stop doing. You know, This sort of thing took a lot of time and it was very difficult for me to take a step back from a lot of my other interests. But, uh, you know, there's so much potential here and it's so exciting. It's so wide open. And every time I, I speak to people, they have a similar attitude. You know, everyone's, they have their eyes are wide and they're thinking about the future and they're excited about what it can be. And, and I think that sort of environment is what really drew me towards VR and VR music in particular. Kyle, you recently gave a presentation at VRTO. Can you share more about what you spoke about the presentation. Well, I was discussing how this sort of musical process can be used uh, with narrative and VR visuals uh, in tandem to provide an emotional context and information to users, uh, you know, in real time. You know, we can use this sort of musical structure to associate different positions and objects and gaze directions in a VR experience with uh, with certain musical structures that can imply certain emotions or or other narrative information. So you can make your VR experiences much more emotionally complex. Uh, I also went through the strengths and limitations in various audio formats about what's possible where, uh, what music can do in all these various formats. I, I went through how we could notate this music practically. Uh, you know, you're 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 composing across spatial dimensions in a way that you wouldn't in conventional uh, composing. So, 
uh, instead of composing a piece of music across time, you have to kind of flip musical theories sideways so that you can compose spatially. You can compose across a virtual space that the user is going to interact with. Uh, I also got to share uh, the stage with uh, Christian Hurst of Interleave Audio in Toronto, who gave a great talk about some of the inevitable troubles that pop up in VR audio. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I sounded really idealistic and he sounded very practical. So it was a, a great conversation with him before and after the talk as well. And I'm still in contact with him and he's been very helpful. Very interesting. I actually have got a presentation in front of me. I have to say it's, it's quite dense. There's a lot of technical information and I'd love to take this opportunity and ask you personally to just give us a, a short overview of the key aspects that may be the most important discoveries that you've managed to establish throughout the course of your experimentation, your work since you've started, just so our audience can get a better understanding. How does it all connect? The interactivity, the spatial audio, the music, and obviously various components that come with music. There's a lot to unpack, but if you just give us like a short version of that presentation, I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, so... You know, as your listeners probably know, uh, spatial audio tools allow sound designers to gain control over individual sounds in a VR environment. And uh, I was really interested in what musicians could do given the level of control that those systems allow. So a lot of the best spatial audio work is done with the approach of simulating reality. You know, they're trying to make a believable representation of the real world. Uh, but I was really interested to see what those formats would allow music to do that can't be done in the real world. So instead of trying to simulate reality, don't do that. Try to focus on what's what's now achievable given those systems and those tools. Uh, so visual artists do this in... Uh, in VR all the time. They think, what's something that would be impossible in the real world that we can now do in this uh, digital world, in, in the virtual world? And I wanted to approach uh, conventional music genres in the same way. I wanted to see what can we do with music given the strengths of these audio systems. These systems are really good at moving objects around, adjusting uh, the sources of audio, moving and adding audio elements. Uh, and that sort of functionality lines up perfectly with musical theory. Like music is oddly digital already. The relationships between notes and rhythms, frequencies, chords, melodies, all of that uh, can be broken into individual musical components. And then the spatial audio systems allow us to manipulate and recombine those individual components uh, into uh, generative music using the audio engines and, and spatialized audio formats. We can plan ahead for the final product and then uh, work our way backwards through the recording process uh, so that we can plan for the final interactions when we're composing and recording and mixing all of the various tracks. You know, There's all sorts of interesting things that can happen uh, musically once you start writing for a world without the practical limitations of reality. You know, you don't have to obey the laws of physics. Instruments can do whatever you want them to do. Uh, and once you get in that world, things really open up and you can create uh, interactive music that is going to uh, it's going to be generated by a user. It's going to be unique to them and yet still situational appropriate. So you can, it's almost a, one of my friends described it as a musical choose your own adventure. Uh, the music is going to sound through composed. It's going to sound like a conventional piece of music, but in reality, there's a whole bunch of, uh, of instantaneous changes happening within the musical score that are uh, composed to match what you're seeing with what the musical score is doing and, and what it's behaving like. If you're bringing a, a, a piece of music uh, into a immersive framework, so into a, a 3D space, you're going to change your composition and production framework. Uh, normally, music is recorded and conceptualized throughout the process by instrument. So you would record a violin track, say, or a piano, uh, and then you would uh, treat that track as an entity throughout the mixing, mastering, and implementation process. Uh, when you're recording spatially in this way, you think more in terms of the musical role of individual notes, rhythms, and frequencies uh, within the context of the piece of music. 
uh, and separate the instruments along those lines. So the instrument itself isn't nearly as significant as the individual musical elements that the structures are made of. Many of the groupings that we use throughout this process include multiple instruments, while others may only include a subset of notes from a single instrument. We might take a piano and break it into seven or eight different pieces. We might take a violin and, and break it apart into a number of pieces as well to create things that we call shell voicings. Now, these are musical structures that are missing important frequencies that would add emotional character to the music. Uh, those key frequencies are kept separate throughout the process, and then we can manipulate them individually later. So we have a, a musical field that acts as a fundamental set of rules, and then we add and remove the emotionally important frequencies as we choose, depending on the direction of the headset, the position of the user, the position of objects. Uh, all of those variables can be included in this. We can put notes inside objects. We can take all those individual pieces and, and break them up, put them inside things that can be carried from one location to another. As long as we record and compose competently, we can design the experience such that if you move objects around, the notes that are inside those objects will interact with the field in a different location to create new harmonies. Uh, and then we keep expanding that out further and further and further until we reach some intellectual limit or practical limit of, of some other kind. But those limits are pretty far. Usually it's because we've, we've made it complex enough that we can't figure out what we're doing. So if these scores are constructed correctly from the composing and recording phase, uh, the end result is that you get a score that will react appropriately to the user's position, how they're framing their visual field. So what they see in their visual field uh, can be reflected properly in the music during runtime. If they decide to turn their head and look a different way, the music will be adjusted in real time uh, to fit that new framing. So you have this 3D emotional space that's laid out over the visual experience. It becomes a, a field of musical information that the user is creating in the moment with their movements and their actions. Uh, it gives you a huge amount of interactive power. There's a lot of VR experiences that focus on multiple uh, visual pieces of information happening simultaneously. So you can imagine an experience where you were standing at the edge of a building or a cliff and uh, what you would want musically is for the user to look over the cliff and have the music at that moment become very ominous and frightening. In the same way that a film composer would do that in a linear context. You would have a, a series of shots and the music composer would work closely with the director to plan, uh, plan out what the framing of each shot will be and how the music should reflect what the user is seeing. Uh, but in VR, you would want to accomplish the same thing by having that musical structure appear only when you look down over a cliff. So if you choose to look back at the safety behind you, the musical structure becomes more relaxed and peaceful. And there's a deep musical tradition behind understanding how that works. There's particular types of chords and harmonies that will give you a relaxed, happy feeling. You know, these are, we refer them as major chords and, and some more complex chords. But what we will do is, as the user turns their head, we'll have the spatial audio system pull out the emotionally significant notes from that chord and replace them with new ones that change the musical structure to become more frightening or, or dark or sad or whatever the visual environment demands. Uh, you can use this preemptively. So you can, uh, if there's a, a relatively calm visual environment, but you're you're prepping the user for something like a jump scare or a, or a, you want them looking in a particular direction, you can add key musical harmonies that will change the structure of the score uh, to become more frightening. Say, if, if you're looking at a closet and something's going to jump out of the closet, the user, when they look there, will get that musical information through the spatial audio engine. Those notes will appear. That'll change the character of the score, but only when the user is looking in the direction you choose. So this is a sound design issue that uh, developers have dealt with uh, using blocking and, and other intelligent sound design tricks but we can use musical harmony and rhythm in similar ways to get similar results. We can guide a user through a narrative as it unfolds. One example keeps 
coming up in my mind at the moment as you speak uh, is the Law of the Rings um, across all three episodes when Frodo is uh, gazing towards uh, Mordor and the mountain with Sauron's eye. There's certain motive is being played, except in this case it's it's linear and the shot is being directed. Uh, for you, it's a sort of passive experience. Whereas if you're in, in the 360 VR environment, that component could become interactive as you gaze in a certain direction, maybe depending on the timing, duration of that gazing, which might suggest your emotional uh, state of mind even further than certain musical motifs or harmonies are introduced to suggest something more sinister or darker. Uh, am, am I think in the right direction? You're precisely right. So that was Howard Shore. He did a, a great job of that soundtrack where he essentially took something like a game composer would do, an adaptive score, but he kind of used it in a linear environment. He used a leitmotif to create different emotional environments across all those scenes that you described. And, and that sort of example where you have uh, music that is shifting and bending and and it's related to itself you're still hearing you're still hearing the same score fundamentally but there are subtle musical changes that are happening one or two notes are a little different it's a little bit higher it's a little bit lower it's a little bit darker it's a little bit brighter all of those things can be controlled in real time using the spatial engines technically it must be quite challenging cuz you want to make it really smooth and seamless and you don't want things to kind of change drastically. I mean, in some instances, probably that's that could be a creative decision as well, but it's it's the key to make sure that uh, you never break that suspension of disbelief. Precisely, precisely. That's, that's the goal. So most of, of what you end up doing is carefully adjusting the different uh, overlapping attenuations of, of notes and the circumstances under which some notes will appear and other notes will not appear so that you never break immersion. The score is the score is the score sounds through composed under all circumstances but in reality it's being adjusted in many different ways by the user but that level of immersion where you're you're interacting with an environment you're in a vr experience and the music is appropriate to what you're seeing and you don't hear these shifts happening that's that's the artistic goal and and it's it's challenging but only as challenging as you're willing to make it you a lot of this you can mix with conventional recording techniques and uh, you know populate a environment with a more conventional score and then only have the most important points and directions uh, using this sort of spatial technique. Depending on, on the level of effort you want to put in, you can make it as complex or as simple as, as you're willing to. So that's an interesting point. Like, um, I would love to hear more about how executed technically. So we're talking about uh, like a bank of stems that are potentially triggered depending on, on your field of view. Or do we go even deeper and it's like sort of self-generative uh, real-time algorithm that kind of changes the MIDI files, or oh, we know that quite far yet. Well, I've tried that, actually. I've spent a bit of time in Blueprints in the Unreal Engine uh, doing some basic versions of that, but the advantages that it gave the experience weren't as... Uh, it wasn't that much more interesting than simply uh, than populating the environment with uh, a large number of stems. So a, a lot of these stem tracks, we would have doubled versions of instruments. So we would have a, a violin track that was missing all the thirds and sevenths. So for those of you in music theory, uh, the musical third is a, is a very important harmony uh, that will shift the sound of your music from, uh, from happy to sad in a, in a simple way. And, and there's other uh, important harmonies and musical relationships that you can manipulate in this way as well. But a lot of what we were doing would be having a violinist come and record uh, a melody without those important harmonies. And then we would have them come again and play only those particular notes. And then we would trigger one track or the other depending on the user's position uh, and their direction of gaze. So we, we would break apart these musical instruments into as many pieces as we needed and then uh, and spread them out over 
uh, over the scene using in the in our case the first one we did was with the Unreal audio engine and then uh, we experimented with a large number of other formats as well. But Unreal is certainly the focus of what I'm doing. I found that the new audio engine in particular allows uh, the most power when it comes to this sort of composing. Other other formats allow you to do other interesting things, but uh, the Unreal Engine so far has been the most useful. So we could be potentially talking about, say, some kind of action scene where something just happened and your protagonist is escaping and the music is sort of in a key signature that kind of represents tension, but sort of fairly neutral. And then as you gaze away to look back at what just happened, perhaps like a battlefield that you're running away from, then an, another key signature that potentially does share some chords and notes with their previous key signature just seamlessly kind of blend in from one stem to another, crossfade. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we're crossfading and and attenuating a large number of tracks at any one point, and at any one point in the virtual space, those tracks are going to overlap into a piece of music that we predetermined. So the example you gave is a perfect one. If you're running away from something, if you're looking forward, we want the uh, the all the major thirds and and the bass notes to shift up to their relative majors. We want the uh, we want to hear harmonies that are uplifting. We want some ninths in there, uh, and that'll give a, a kind of hopeful and, and comfortable musical aesthetic. And then, if they look back behind them to see, you know, a car chasing them or some sort of uh, villain, you know, who, who's the who's their uh, antagonist, we're going to remove those notes and replace them with minor thirds, minor fifths, a lot of diminished harmonies, things that will that will imply the emotion that we want the user to feel at that point. So you, you have multiple simultaneous scores happening in all directions, and depending where the user looks, you're going to hear or not hear the notes we want you to hear or not hear. Well, that, that's where it gets really interesting and forces you as a musician to really dive deep into your toolbox and potentially expand, because obviously in Western music, our palette is quite wide, but it's not you know all-inclusive. Uh, there's, there's a lot more to explore in kind of draw and learn from other cultures. For example, you know, we just talked about like a cliche scenario, but you know, you might want to go a little bit more subtle and say you just made a mistake and you maybe committed a crime and you looking away and the emotion you would like to portray is more of a regret. And, uh, and now you want to take a slightly different direction. And then finding that there's sort of little relationship between which, which key signatures, which modes work together and provided that kind of seamless glue from one to another versus um, stark contrast between, say, proper major and minor, yeah. Absolutely. I think you just hit on on one of the most interesting elements of this. Like Once you accept that this sort of, of musical interaction is possible, you can just, you know, you can easily transport all of the sophisticated knowledge behind game and film composing and just drop it right into place uh, in the spatial world. So all those normal musical techniques uh, are now are, are valuable again, but in this new format where they're happening to a, a user who is determining which of those will become relevant. So you know, depending on where they're looking, uh, like you say, depending on what they do, your artistic your artistic uh, your artistic ability is now the limitation on on what sorts of harmonies and musical structures can exist at any one point in time. You could have multiple structures happening simultaneously. Perhaps we don't even have an answer for this question, but I wonder if there is even like another dimension that is offered by introduction of spatial audio, say when this music is placed in a traditional fashion, very kind of dense with sort of high timbre fidelity versus different spatial perspectives and kind of arrangement of musical elements within 3D space will give you very different timbre, different sound in general, and which kind of further enhances the emotional quality of that key signature or maybe even provides it with a finer scale, finer kind of spectrum to play with in terms of finding those details and the kind of emotions that could be maybe traditionally a lot harder to portray. Well, that's... Well, that's what we—that's the approach that we took when we dealt with ambisonic recordings in 360 film. So, for ambisonics, because of some of the technical limitations of the format, you—it's much more difficult to completely remove and replace notes. Uh, but you do have a lot of control over the perceived 
volume of notes in real time. So you can't completely remove them, but you can position them in space so accurately uh, that you can really emphasize uh, within a single harmonic or rhythmic structure which part of the sphere, which part of the visual sphere um, you want the, it's easier to go with a concrete example. So if I were to take a, a major chord, so a conventionally happy chord, but then stack what's called altered extensions on top of that. So these are notes that are going to create a lot of tension uh, within that major within that major paradigm. So it's a, it's a major, still a major chord. It's still a, a happy uh, environment. But by overlaying these harsh dissonant notes on top and positioning them in the three sixty feet in the three sixty sphere intelligently, you can inform the user as to what part of their visual environment will be peaceful and relaxing or positive and which parts of the environment will be you know whatever other motion emotion you choose depending on the notes you've chosen so different combinations of notes can be associated with different emotions and and this is something to a musician that's well understood and and uh and well supported by uh, by the musical tradition so by putting just as like like you said as an example if you wanted to have a user when they turned away from something frightening, hear notes that sound made them feel uh, like they're running away from something or that they were subtly uh, weak or, or shying away from something they should be facing head on, we can imply that with subtle changes to what's called upper extensions in the harmony. Uh, e- even though we're not, even though we, we aren't really removing or adding notes by adding different weights to their volume and, and changing them positionally, we can add an emotional depth to the space that is is possible only in spatial audio formats. And also, I think the spatial audio domain enables you to, perhaps in more sophisticated fashion, to integrate music into environment, which sometimes could be really useful when you would like to have music doing its job, essentially carry the emotional context within the scene, but be completely in the background, you know, like where your maybe high pitch string soaked in reverb becomes the air, you know, maybe deep drone that is barely perceptible sort of becomes part of the ground and that kind of uh, lower frequency atmos, you know, various things like that. So it's you don't necessarily think of it, oh, I'm listening or I'm hearing a piece of music and it's there's a violin and there's a guitar, you know, it's it's more becomes kind of sound design becomes musical and music becomes sound design and just opens up that palette of opportunities how to be creative and totally blur the boundaries. And I think immersive audio really provides that kind of connecting bridge between those two worlds. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I see a future where this sort of music making, yeah, this, this is going to sound a little bit dramatic, but um, I do see a future where this sort of musical conception becomes much more common and and much more normal as VR and AR, you know, trickle out into the mainstream and and more of our real environments are overlaid with digital environments. You can see that trend happening all over the the AR world and and VR world. People are are making digital representations of their apartments and their homes and and that's the sort of thing that's going to start happening more and more. And the sort of thing that you just described, uh, I would expect to become very, very common. Uh, like, uh, I was in Toronto for this conference a, a month and a half ago or, or so, and we did an experience called Scary Girl. And in that experience, it was a, an arena scale VR experience. And in that context, there were uh, piles of pollutant, piles of goo on the ground. And as I was using the experience, I would love to have the low dissonant bass notes in that that goo. And as you as you are meant to clean it up and suck it into your into your machine, that's the context of the game. You 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 clean up this goo and pull it into this bucket that you have carrying around on your back. And as you did that, those notes would disappear and leave the nice, beautiful bass notes rumbling below you, so that you know you've you've fixed. You fixed the problem. You know, there's all sorts of narrative associations and and different musical contexts that become possible once you have that high resolution control over the position of of individual frequencies and notes and instruments and and musical ideas. Like you said, the violins are up uh, up high in the sky above your head. There's 
There's the mid-instruments that are spread around you, inside objects that you can manipulate. There's bass notes in the ground, as you described. All that stuff is, is possible and a huge amount of fun as a composer. Uh, to, play, to play with music in this spatial way is, is the most exciting creative experience I've had in my adult life. It's really, really fun to do. You kind of answered my next question already, but I'll ask anyway. <laughs> do you have any predictions and kind of based on your personal experience and, and observations in terms of uh, what the future holds in terms of virtual reality content and its relationship with the music production industry and yeah, the whole music industry in general, I would say? I, I think it depends on how ubiquitous the technology becomes. Um, like right now, the biggest challenge that I'm facing is being able to communicate to people what is actually happening and then even beyond that, having them experience it. There's not many people that have the necessary technology or to actually experience this sort of music and with and even less are able to do it within the context of a VR environment, like a, a virtual environment. Uh, so I would say that it depends on how quickly this is adopted. And, and I would hope that it happens faster and faster. And I would expect it's going to happen faster and faster. But once this once this sort of uh, tech is in every living room or in every shopping mall or or every public space, there's no reason why music has to be a linear experience at all anymore. It, you know, it could be the case that most music becomes spatial in a sense, where the users and the listeners are a part of the virtual experience. I'm trying to. I'm kind of blanking on other mediums that have gone through a similar. Uh, a similar transformation, but I, I don't know if if music has to stay a linear experience for much longer. We may be at a very interesting point in, in musical development where this sort of uh, of interactivity becomes the norm. I, I don't want to predict that, but it would be very nice if that were to happen. I think music could be even more interesting than it is. That's very interesting. I, I agree with you. We can't tell for sure, but what we can tell with a degree of certainty that we on a path of evolution and and things are changing and hopefully in a positive way. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a very exciting time to, to be a, a musician, that's for sure. There, there's a lot of new elements uh, opening up to to people who are who are interested in, in playing in these worlds and creating the uh, the virtual environments that are I, I, I see these as being foundational, you know, this is a very interesting time to be to be an artist. Kyle, are there any interesting projects that you personally or frameworks are currently working on or about to embark on to? <laughs> well, I'm the last month or so I've been uh, I just discussed with you the trouble I was having in, in getting this uh, getting this sort of music out there and having people understand what I'm doing. And my partner is Korean and uh, and she made the suggestion of doing spatialized 3D uh, compositions. Uh, of reworked Korean pop songs, and I thought that was just too much fun to to turn down. So I've sat in a studio for the last three weeks or so, and I've been spatializing and manipulating uh, recordings of Korean pop songs that I've done in in a new and interesting way, and and that's uh, been my focus for the last few weeks. I do have uh, some. I'm in talks with a number of studios about. Uh, some novel movement and combat mechanics for upcoming VR experiences that could use this sort of music because it has this spatial element where you can you can provide information to a user through the musical score about their location and where they should and shouldn't go and what they should do. Uh, I'm just at the beginning stages of, of making some full-scale experiences that will show this sort of music off. Uh, I don't know if what I should say about those before they're done. They're obviously in very early stages. I've met with people and discussed it, and there's lots of potential there. But uh, as those sort of things get released... Uh, I'll be putting them on the website and selling them, or they'll be in the app stores or, or whatever. But that's a bit—that's a, a little bit far away for now. I'm right now. I'm I'm trying to uh, find some artists to partner with. I'd love to find a visual artist that is doing some very uh, novel visual, uh, uh, some visual work that I could 
that I could wed to this sort of music. I think that would be very, very interesting. So I'm still doing a lot of normal spatial audio design for local companies and things like this, but it's been a lot of Korean pop music over the last month and some more experimentation needs to be done. So we'll see what happens over the next few months. Awesome. Carl, what would be one piece of advice that you could give to somebody who is potentially a composer or maybe a sound designer who's keen to try interactive spatial music? Well, uh, like I said, I'm very new in, in the scene, so I'm, I'm hesitant to give advice, but I know that every forward step I've had over the last year and a half or so has been because I actually spoke to somebody in person about what I'm doing and, and had a conversation like this one. Uh, I've had horrible luck cold emailing people and trying to network through social media and all those normal channels. And I, I, I'm not very good at it. I don't feel all that comfortable doing that sort of thing. So whenever I've had a chance to to sit down with somebody and talk about these ideas and and talk about what's possible, I, I've I've always gotten a connection out of those experiences that has opened doors for me and, and push things one step further towards where I want them to be. So uh, I would only recommend that people get out and network and meet other people who are doing similar things in, in the medium and, and have conversations about what this means for music and, and the music makers. How can our listeners find out more about yourself and your work? Uh, go to frameworksproductions.ca. Whenever I, uh, whenever I put up a, a new experience or, or something that I've been working on, it'll be on that website. And uh, otherwise, you can find me on, on Instagram or Facebook or the normal social media channels if you'd like to chat. John Kyle Varley. John Kyle Varley, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Oliver. Have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell with guest John Kyle Varley. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Michelle Chan, with the help of Shane O'Hare and included music by Nobbs Bergamo. If you can, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.